That was so awesome. So like super moving, you know, just hearing the disciples sing together with Jesus. And, uh, and that's actually, you know, there will be a song that we sing in heaven. And it says, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Worthy is the Lamb. Amen. Jesus is that Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's interesting, uh, tonight we were, we were singing a song, um, I can't remember how it goes, um, Are You Washed in the Blood of the Lamb? You guys ever heard that song? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? You guys know that song I'm talking about? No? Probably because I'm singing the wrong key or the wrong... <laughs> but, uh, you know, I was asking my daughter, you know, what does that mean? Are you washing the blood of the Lamb, hon? She's like, what does that mean, Dad? Well, it talks about how Jesus has washed us of all of our sins in His blood. And when it speaks about His blood, it speaks of Him giving His life for us, laying down His life. By this we know love. The Bible says that He gave His life for us. The question tonight, are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you forgiven of your sins tonight? Have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you put your trust in Him for the forgiveness of your sins and the hope of everlasting life? It's the most important decision that you could ever make is concerning Jesus and where you're going to spend eternity. And one look to the cross reminds us of His great love for each one of us and what He's done for us to make us um, His children and to give us the hope of heaven, you guys. And so we worship Him tonight. We gather together to worship Him, to honor Him, and to look unto Jesus also. And um, I want to read from John chapter 13 tonight. So if you have a Bible, John chapter 13 is where we're going to be uh, tonight for a little bit in our Bible study. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand and we'll get one to you. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. I've titled tonight's message, Choosing the Path of Blessing, or the Way of Blessing. How many of you guys like to be blessed? Hopefully every one of us here. You know, it's an elusive word, blessing. What does that mean to be blessed? Um, It means, oh, how happy is the man. But it also means, check this out, it means satisfied. It means uh, fulfilled. It means satiated. And so Jesus tells us tonight the path of blessing, the path that we can choose to go down or choose not to go down. And so hopefully every one of us wants to be blessed tonight. And so let's look at John chapter 13 together. And so it says in chapter 13, verse 1, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. 
And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. And so we have this amazing, like, mind-blowing picture of here's God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God the Son, coming to this earth, humbling himself, coming to this earth, and not only humbling himself to walk amongst his creation and to be with us and to be, to be, to be, to be around the, the filth of this world, but then to clean the filth of his dirty his disciples' dirty, stinky feet. I mean, can you imagine our Lord doing this for them? And it's interesting, though, as we break this down, it says in verse 13, it says, uh, it says, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, he's getting ready to go to the cross. He's getting ready to lay down his life, to be beaten, to be mocked, to be scourged, to be spit upon to be brutalized beyond, uh, beyond imagined for us. Um, he took the pain and suffering that we deserved, that we rightfully deserve. He took all of that. And he's about to go, to, to go through all of this. And what's he doing? He's investing in, he's loving on his disciples. He's not saying, guys, come minister to me. He's ministering to them. In fact, it says right at the end of that verse, it says what? That he loved them to the end. In other words, he showed them the full extent of his love. He continued to love them. And I find something amazing in this passage is that Jesus also washed Judas's feet. I mean, think about that. If you've ever, anybody here ever been betrayed, done wrong by someone? Imagine if you knew the person that was going to do you in, that was going to cause problems and harass you, mess with your life. Would you wash their feet? Would you, would you love them in that way and do that for them? But Jesus not only taught us to love our enemies, to, lo- to, to treat those as we want to be treated, right? He not only taught that, but he did what? He lived it out, didn't he? He not, only gave, he not only taught us, but he gave us the example also to walk in. And so notice in our, in our passage here, Jesus knows a few things. And this is so important for us because there's important application for each one of us here tonight who knows Jesus. If you know the Lord tonight, very important. Number one, Jesus knew what time it was. He knew it was time to depart to the Father. It was time to go back home. Heaven is Jesus' home. He was heading back to his hometown. And he knew what time it was. Listen, tonight, do you know what time it is? Don't everybody look at your watches and the clock. And That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, do you know the times that we live in right now, you guys? We are getting closer and closer to the, the, the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for us. To take us to the place that he's preparing for us. As we look around the world, as we watch the news, as things are unraveling around us, listen, everything is is in His hands. Everything's not out of control. 
Everything's in control. God is in control tonight. He's still on the throne tonight, you guys. And so we need to know what time it is. The Bible tells us to redeem the time for the days are evil, you guys. To recognize that our life is short in light of eternity. That our lives are like a, like a puff of breath, like a wisp of smoke, the Bible says, in light of eternity. So in light of that, to do what? To, to make the most of the time that we have left. To recognize the time that we're living in right now. Jesus knew something else also in verse 3. Actually, verse 2, we find out that, that the devil found a, a cooperative partner in Judas Iscariot, a man with a willing heart, a man with a corrupt heart, willing to do in, do in the Lord. And so um, Judas on that path to destruction. But notice the contrast. Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands. So think about that. The Father had, He knew the Father had given Him all things into His hands. What would you do if God put everything into your hands? All things. Would you wash feet? What if he gave you all power, all control, all every dominion? What would you do with all of that? Would you wash people's feet? Would you, would you be a servant to others? So Jesus has been given all things. But listen, as Christians, we've been given all things, the Bible says. We've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness, you guys. He's given us everything necessary that we need to live a life that will be pleasing to Him. He's given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Lord has given us so many blessings, you guys. We've been given all things. What are we doing with all the things that we've been blessed with? The third thing is that He knew what? He knew where he, that He had come from God, and second, that He was going to God. Do you know where you came from? I'm not talking about like... like uh, where we came from as a human race. God created man and, and woman. We didn't come from pond scum, correct? It wasn't a, you know, a bunch of uh, circumstances that we arrived here as human beings. God is the creator. But I'm talking about you personally. When you came to know God, do you remember where you came from tonight? In your personal relationship with Him? Do you know where you came from? Do you remember where you came from? What He delivered you from? What He delivered you out of? what he's done in your life, it's important to be reminded of that. To look back and say, wow, I know where I came from. I know I'm not what I should be, but praise God, I'm not what I used to be. And I can't wait to see what I'm going to be when I'm with him. Because when we see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, the Bible says. Do you know where you're going? Jesus knew where he was going. Do you know where you're going tonight? Hopefully every one of us that's here tonight, we're headed to heaven if you don't have that assurance tonight in your heart and in your life and in your mind, listen, you've come to the right place. Jesus said that He gives life. In fact, we just, they, they just shared, um, Manny was saying in that song that He said, and, and Jesus said it in John chapter 6, I am the bread of life. He who comes to Me shall never hunger, and he who believes in Me shall never thirst. That, there will, that you will not have that emptiness in your heart. You will be satisfied by the Lord. He will satisfy you like nothing else. Because for some of us, our background is we were trying to fill the emptiness in our hearts with everything under the sun. And you find out that that's like a treadmill that you're running on. That it doesn't satisfy. But Jesus says, come to me and believe in me and trust in me and I will satisfy you. 
I will lead your life. I will be your shepherd to nourish you and to care for you and to lead you and to love you. Well, he knew where he was going. He knew where he had come from. He got up from supper, verse 4, and he takes off his garments and he's doing the, the job of the most menial slave, you guys, in the house. And I think personally, I think there was a bucket there that was sitting that nobody was willing to wash anybody else's feet. I think everybody kind of conveniently ignored that. They kind of just walked by. You know what I'm talking about? Conveniently ignoring something. You guys ever conveniently ignore something? I remember when my, little, my kids were little and one of them would have a dirty diaper and they're running around and I'd smell it and I'd get my Bible, you know, honey, I'd smell something, but I'm having my quiet time here. Can't get to that right now. <laughs> But it's so lame, isn't it? We conveniently ignore stuff all the time that needs to be done, right? And so, but Jesus doesn't. And he's giving, and, and our God, listen you guys, our God is a master teacher, isn't he? You go through God's word and, and you watch how he teaches the characters in the Bible, but then watch how he teaches us too. He teaches us in such beautiful... I mean, I'm, t I'm talking about a diaper and, and I'm exposing my own heart to you guys and that was a lesson that I learned, that how selfish I can be, right? Our God is such a master teacher and He's teaching His guys something here. Not only about the picture of Him coming from heaven to earth, laying aside the glory of heaven and coming here, humbling Himself as a servant and giving His life, Humbling himself to the point of death, the death of being obedient to the point of death, the death of the on the cross. But then not only that, coming and giving his life, but then headed back to heaven where he's seated in glory and majesty. And we will see him, you guys. He is worthy. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive glory and honor and power and riches. And so he washes their feet, Judas included, and then he comes to Simon Peter. Wasn't that great tonight, that little scene? I love that. And he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Has that ever happened to you guys? Like you don't understand something? Anybody ever happened to you? You don't know, you, you can't understand what's going on in your circumstances. You don't understand what's happening in your life. Things don't make sense. And I think the Lord would remind us tonight, what I'm doing right now, you don't understand, but you will know at one point. You will know. Listen, you will. If you're his child, and one day when we get to heaven and we look back, this, one of the songs that we sing in heaven is everything you've done is righteous and true. It may not seem like it right now in the midst of what you're going through and what's going on in your life, or maybe what you're about to go through. It, it's been said that either you're coming out of a storm, you're in a storm, or you're about to go into a storm. And some of us have been through storms where you don't know, you don't know bottom from top. You don't, it's so dark, it's so gnarly. And the Lord would remind us, right now you don't understand, but you will after this. So what do I do in the midst of that? What should I do? When there's things that you don't understand, there's things that you don't know, you and I, precious brother or sister, you need to lean upon the things that you do know. What do you know? Well, I think the same things that Jesus, do you know what time it is? Do you know where you came from? Do you know where you're going? These are important things to know. It, correct? Are you with me still? I know it's been a long day for some of us. 
there's these things we have to know. We have to be assured of in our hearts. I know where I came from. I know where I'm going. I know what time it is. My life is in his hands. My times are in his hands. He's working all things together for good in my life. So what do I do in the meantime? What do I do in the meantime as I'm going through this storm? I'm going through something I don't understand, but, but Lord, you say I'm going to know after this. What do I do in the meantime? I think Jesus gives us the example of what to do in the meantime. And he's going to tell us. Doesn't he tell us in the text? Let's keep rolling. Maybe you don't know what I'm talking about. Check it out. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Should we ever tell the Lord never? We should never tell the Lord never. <laughs> you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And his response is great, isn't it? Simon Peter said to him, Lord, do not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Give me the full spa treatment, right? Give me it all. If that's the case, I want to be a part of what you got going on. I want to be with you. And Peter was loyal to Jesus, you guys. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, you are not all clean. He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet. What is that talking about? Here's what I think it's talking about, what Jesus is saying here. It means once you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb, once you've been forgiven of your sins, once you've become born again, once you've become saved, once you've become a child of God by receiving and believing on Jesus Christ, what happens? You're not only washed, you're totally cleansed. You don't need to get born again, again. You don't need another, another full bathing. You just need to be washed. Your feet just need to be washed. You know what I mean by that? You guys ever go to the, anybody ever go to the beach? You go in the water. Sometimes they have like a shower at the beach. Anybody ever see those? You can get showered at the beach. But then when you leave the shower, you start to walk, and what do your feet pick up? sand, right, some other gnarly stuff as you're walking, right? You don't need to go take a whole new bath. You need to do what? Just wash your, wash your what? Just wash your feet. That's it. Just give them a little rinse. And so what happens with us as Christians, we're completely forgiven. We've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Our sins are forgiven, forgotten, gone forever. Jesus declares you justified, just as if I'd never sinned at all. You were righteous in God's sight. But we pick up dirt every day, don't we? Correct? Some things that go in our ears, some things that go in our eyes. Sometimes even our minds get dirty, don't they? We think some unclean thoughts sometimes in our hearts. No one wants to admit that. Maybe it's just me sometimes. I think, hope we're honest. Because <laughs> I, I think if we had a video of everybody's thought life up on the screen, you'd be like, <laughs> whoa, don't do that, man. But really, that just needs a cleansing. If we confess our sins, he's what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. We keep a short account with God. But not just that, it's the water of the word that washes us. We get back into the Word of God and we get readjusted and the Lord shows us those areas that are in need of, of adjusting, of repentance, of confession. And so Jesus explains that to everybody and then He goes on, it says, so when He had washed their feet, taken His garments, 
and sat down again. He said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you say, well, right on, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Who's Jesus speaking to? The disciples, right? He says, if I've done this to you, then you guys also ought to wash one another's feet also. In other words, you also ought to serve one another, to be servants to one another. What is a servant? Anybody? What is a, what's a simple definition of a servant? Anybody tonight? This is not a trick question. Taking care of someone? Yeah. Listen, hey, a servant lives to improve the quality of someone else's life. A servant lives to improve the quality of someone else's life. Jesus says you ought to wash one another's feet. If I've done this, you ought to walk in my example. He says, for I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Not an ordinance, not a, not a law. He didn't say, this is a law I'm giving you. You guys need to do this. He said, I've given you an example to follow that you would do this to one another. And then he says, most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. And then he says, check this out. Because we all said we wanted to be blessed tonight, didn't we? Yeah, I want to be blessed, man. I've come here. Give me a blessing, Pastor. Give me, give me, give me. Give me a blessing tonight, Pastor. Come on, Pastor. Come on. Look at the next verse. What's it say? How about we read it together? You ready? If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. <gasps> you want to be blessed. The blessing's not just knowing, but in the what? Doing. The problem is we don't want to be servants. We just want to be served. Correct? Most of the time, because our hearts are a little jacked up. We're self-absorbed people, self-consumed. That's why Jesus says, if you want to follow me, take up your cross, deny yourself daily, right, and follow me. Because it's that selfishness that gets in the way of what he wants to do, of that servanthood, of serving. We want to be blessed. We want to be satisfied. We want to be satiated. We want to be fulfilled. We want to be happy. <gasps> yeah, I want to be happy. You want to be happy? Serve others. Be a foot washer. What does that look like for you? I don't know. For me, I know it's to serve my bride, Tanya, in whatever capacity, whether it's taking out the kitty litter. Pan, it's, I call it panning for gold, by the way. Because <laughs> I'm storing up my treasures and I'm just panning for gold here. You know, and no one else is watching but the Lord. He sees and he hears the melody in our hearts as we're doing it. But it's washing feet. Kids, how about serving your parents? How about cleaning up after yourselves? How much would that bless mom and dad? Not to leave a little tornado, right? And, but do something without asking. You know what? I just want to bless mom and dad. I want to follow Jesus' example, a practical way of doing that. 
How about, you know, parents with your kids, blessing them, washing their feet, serving them. I know we do, we do that a lot. And there is no, there's not a whole lot of thanks, is there? But the Lord sees, He knows. Mom's got that mound of laundry that is never-ending. It's just, it kind of has a life of itself. You, like, you could lose a small child in that laundry room if they go in there. But there's lots of, listen, there's lots of practical ways in the church we can do this too, isn't there? You can bathe someone with kind words. You can, you can serve someone by coming alongside them and encouraging them. By sharing something that's soothing. Getting your feet washed, that's a pretty refreshing thing. Getting cleansed after you've been dirty, isn't that a refreshing thing when you, when you get washed and, and take a bath and you clean your feet? and It's a very soothing thing, a refreshing thing. There's ways that we can refresh one another, you guys, without being so, without being so like self-centered. You're saying, Lord, I want to follow your example because the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. I think, check this out, as I close tonight, I think the Apostle Peter reflected on this this night when he wrote his first epistle. At least once in his first epistle. I'm going to read it. 1 Peter chapter 5. You can flip over there with me. In fact, I have no doubt he was reflecting on this. First Peter chapter 5. Verse 5. Anybody got it? Who's got it? Everybody got it? Aaron, you want to lead it, read it for us? Loud and proud, dude. Come on, bring it. Nice, nice and loud. Stand up, will you, bro, please? Thanks. Perfect, thank you. Did you guys catch that? I think when he said... Be clothed with humility. I have no doubt he was thinking of Jesus. Listen, all of us got dressed tonight, didn't we? Today? Did we all choose? To, we all opted for clothing tonight, correct? He's still with me tonight. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm assuming every one of us picked out our outfits. Correct? You picked out your clothes? Right? Some, I know some of you dudes, your wives pick out your clothes for you. That's a good thing for some of us here. <laughs> but you said, yeah, I'm going to wear this tonight. I'm, I'm going to get clothed in this outfit. I like this. This shirt, this, these jeans, this, this dress. I like the way it looks. I like the way it feels. I like... That's what he's talking about here. You have a choice tonight what you want to be clothed in. You can, and again, what the path, you can choose the pathway of blessing tonight. You can choose servanthood and humility, or you can ser- or you can choose to walk in pride and selfishness. There's only really only one or two ways to go. Correct. It's a choice we make every day of what we're going to put on. Am I going to walk in humility and servanthood, 
Or am I going to choose to walk in pride and I want people to serve me and exalt me? But the real bummer is, is that God what? What does it say? God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. When we're walking in pride, if something's not happening in your life, in your marriage, in your ministry, in the things you've got going, there may be pride in your life. And God is saying, I'm not going to let that happen. That's not going to work. But... What's so beautiful is the next, the next verse says, therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. We say, Lord, I will humble myself. Not, Lord, make me humble. Because <laughs> then it's like he'll have to do some, <laughs> some work. <laughs> Put some work in on you. <laughs> if you've ever been down that trail, you know what I'm talking about. Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Why? That he may exalt you or lift you up in due time because he gives grace don't you like god's grace you guys his kindness his undeserved kindness and favor in our lives the bible tells us that jesus gives us layer upon layer of grace and it says grace to the who to the humble amen jesus gave us the example we want to be blessed that's the that's the path to choose is to choose humility and servanthood amen in jesus name lord thank you tonight for your word and Such a great lesson, such a great reminder. You're such an awesome teacher, Jesus. And Lord, I need to be reminded of this. My flesh wants to just fight against going that direction. So Lord, thank you for the new life that you've given me, given us. Your life, the life of Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Thank you. Thank you that it is you, Lord Jesus, who works in us both to will and to do for your good pleasure. So may we be a family, a church that chooses that path of blessing. Because you said it, Lord. You said we would be blessed if we do those things. To walk in humility, to be clothed with humility. To take the... Take the, the the position of a servant, to live, to, to, to raise the quality, to bless others, the quality of life in others, Lord, that we would follow your example. So help us to do that, Lord Jesus. Thank you for giving your life that we might have life. Thank you that you're the one who satisfies us, the bread of life. And Lord, as we reflect upon um, this, this Passover season, this Passion Week, Lord, that we would take these things that you've ministered to our hearts and put them into practice in our lives. That we would bring you glory. You are worthy, Lord. As we learned last night, you are worthy of our best. And so tonight, we're reminded that we would choose the path of blessing. And so thank you, Lord. We love you. Thank you for first loving us, giving us life that we might have life. And tonight, as we're still in an attitude of prayer with our heads bowed and our eyes are closed, as we finish our Bible study, our time in God's Word, perhaps you've been listening and you realize that you've never come to that place of a real and a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. And right now, He's reaching out to you. 
to rescue you, to save you. That you would not die in your sins. But that tonight you'd be forgiven of your sins. And that you'd be granted everlasting life. And what's the Lord asking of you tonight? Number one, that you'd repent. You'd stop going your own way. And have a change of mind, a change of heart about Jesus. And that you'd place your trust in Him. And Him alone for your salvation, for your forgiveness. So simple, even a child can understand. Jesus is calling you tonight. If, if that's you tonight, you need to respond. It's the most important decision that you'll ever make is concerning your eternity. And here's how, here's how you need to respond tonight. I want to pray with you. I want to lead you in a prayer as you open your heart to Jesus. Real simple, you raise up your hand. Right now, if that's you, you raise up your hand. Let's pray together. And we'll, I'll lead you in a prayer tonight. Anyone at all tonight? You raise up that hand if that's you. Raise it up real high if that's you. I see your hand. Awesome. Anyone else tonight? I don't want to stop if the Holy Spirit's working in your heart. I'm not talking about knowing about Jesus or what people say about Jesus. Do you know Him personally? If you don't tonight, I'm going, to say, I'm going to ask again. You raise up your hand. Let's pray. Anyone at all tonight? Anyone else? I see your hand in the back. Praise the Lord. Anyone else tonight? Anyone at all? Okay. For this one that's raised her hand, you can repeat this. Just simple prayer. Lord Jesus, thank You for dying for me. For my sins. Lord Jesus, would you come into my heart? Would you wash me and cleanse me and make me new tonight? I don't want to go back to those sins anymore. So would you fill me with your Spirit? I surrender to you tonight, Lord Jesus. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for rising again from the dead to save me, to give me life. I commit my life to you now. Lord, we thank you so much for this precious one. We know there's rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repents. And so may we rejoice with those who rejoice. Thank you. Thank you that our names are written in heaven. Thank you that we can rest tonight, that you're in control, that our lives are in your hands, our times are in your hands. We bless you tonight. You are worthy. May we continue to worship you in spirit and in truth. Thank you for the food you've provided across the way. May our fellowship be sweet, and may we continue to grow in grace and the knowledge of you. And it's in your precious and holy name, Lord Jesus, that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Praise the Lord. such a blessing all the hard work and the time put in to honor Jesus tonight wow each night of the week we've we've gathered together it's been beautiful hasn't it so amazing
Hey, tonight uh, we are going to look at Isaiah chapter 53. So if you have a Bible, if you would open with me to Isaiah 53. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand. We'll get one to you so you can follow along with us. Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is where we'll be tonight. The uh, title of tonight's message is His Pain, Your Gain. His Pain, Your Gain. So Isaiah 53, some of you are familiar with this passage. It was written approximately 500 years um, before Jesus came. And it is one of the most amazing prophecies, predictions in God's word of the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, all that he went through um, to rescue us, to save us. Um, it's, it's so amazing that... Uh, scholars, so-called scholars have tried to write it off as it was written after Jesus came, but the uh, problem was they discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls. <laughs> big problem. Archaeologists are a big problem to the scholars. And so they found the Dead Sea Scrolls and just, again, to reconfirm God's word. And, of course, we don't need archaeological discoveries. We know God's word. It's, as, as we've come to know the Lord, Lord Jesus Christ, his word has become life to us. It is truth, it is life, and he speaks to us, he speaks to his children, and I trust and I know he will speak to our hearts tonight. If he hasn't already, <laughs> I mean, that was powerful, just watching that and just considering all that the Lord went through to rescue us, to save us, and let me remind us tonight that three days later he rises from the dead. Amen. And so, here's what God's word says, Isaiah 53. It begins with two questions. And Isaiah says, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Who's, been belie who's believed what we've communicated? Who has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Who has the Lord flexed his muscles to show his might, his power to? Well, he's done it in our lives, hasn't he? He's shown us his strength and his might by rescuing us, changing us, continuing to work in our lives. Wonderful things God is doing. He's done great things. He's doing great things, and he will do great things to come. He is the same. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It says in verse 2, For he shall grow up before him, speaking of the Son growing up before the Father, to, for he shall grow up before him, how? As a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, no splendor or uh, beautiful appearance. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. That's a description of our Lord, you guys. There was nothing beautiful about him no physical like beauty, 
that would draw us to him. In fact, that's a remarkable thing to consider tonight. When God cho chose to come to this earth, he was willing to take an ugly body. I mean, it wasn't, be it wasn't beautiful, it says here. It, was uncom uh, it says it was not no form, no comeliness. There was nothing that would beauty that would attract us to him. You would think if God, when God came, he would become like a model, <laughs> like beautiful or something you know, that we'd be, we'd be in awe of, but he didn't. You know, you may be saying, Pastor, I'm offended tonight. I have the most beautiful painting. He's the most beautiful red-headed Irishman you've ever seen. But really, it, 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 we're not told. We're just told that there was no beauty that would draw us to him. And then in verse 3, check this out. He is despised and rejected by men, hated for no reason. Think of all the wonderful things he did when he came, when you read the Gospels the healing he did, the hearts he touched, the lepers he cleansed, the dead that were raised, the relationships that were built. And you think about all that went on for three years. It wasn't business as usual on planet Earth. God came, Emmanuel, God with us. They recognized that. God has visited his people, they proclaimed. They praised God for all the wonderful works that Jesus did. And then when it came down, to the final assessment, what did they say? We have no king but Caesar. We will not have this man rule over us. It says he is despised and rejected by men. And the same thing happens today, correct? Many people reject and despise Jesus. What has he done? He's done nothing wrong. He's done nothing wrong whatsoever. In fact, everything he does is glorious. He makes all things beautiful in his time. And yet he is despised and rejected even today. It's interesting because you can, you can, you can, you, people use the name of the Lord in vain, don't they? But you never hear, ah, Buddha, ah, Muhammad, or ah, Krishna. They use our Lord's name. Isn't that interesting? Ever, ever thought about that? They take his beautiful name that's to be hallowed and use it as a filthy curse word. But his name is the name above all other names. It goes on to say, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. You know, we, we told he was also anointed with, with the oil of gladness more than his companions, the Bible tells us. So full of joy, and yet it tells us also he's a man of sorrows. Do you guys ever go through sorrows? Anybody ever have a sorrowful heart? You're hurting. Do you know that he knows what's going on when you're, when you're suffering? How, how does he know? Because he's walked in our shoes. And not only does he know, but he's an ever-present help in, in our time of need, you guys. He knows, he cares, he loves you, he cherishes your life, my precious brother or sister. He's a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief when you're grieving. And there's things that grieve us. There's things that happen in our lives we don't understand, we can't figure them out. And yet, the Lord knows, because again, he's walked in our shoes. He was tempted in all points, yet was without sin. He never sinned. And so he knows what it's like to grieve, to, to, to have sadness, to walk through those things, and also to supply exactly what we need in that time, because his grace is what? His grace is sufficient, Jesus says. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. I will strengthen you to help you. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. And you know, as if it wasn't enough to be scourged and beaten 
And, the, and it tells us in chapter 52 of this chapter, um, in verse 14, if you look back up there, it says, just as many were astonished at you, so his visage or his face was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. So he was beaten beyond recognition. And this was prophesied about. I mean, that, the, the makeup artist, whoever did the makeup, you know, it didn't even do justice to what happened to his face. He was beaten beyond recognition. And there he is, as if it wasn't enough to break the body, to bust him up physically, People coming by, his own people, and what were they doing? Hurling insults at him. Trying to break the spirit, break him emotionally, break him mentally. But the Bible tells us he endured the shame. He despised the shame. He endured the cross, despising the shame. Why? For the joy that was set before him, you guys. He was thinking of you. He was thinking of me as he hung in there, enduring to rescue us, to save us, not quitting. He could have called upon a legion of angels at any moment. He could have called in for rescue. He could have called in for help. He could have hit the eject button and got right out of there and said, you know what, let's just start from scratch. I'm done with these people. But he didn't. And we heard what, what he said from the cross, right? Father what? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. What an awesome, not only did he teach that, but he gave us an example in our suffering and when we're done wrong, when we are persecuted, when things are happening to us that are unkind, words that are shared with us that are unkind, he gave us the example to follow. And not only that, he came into our hearts to enable us to do that, you guys, to empower us to be able to walk in those things. It goes on to say, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. We despised him, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs, literally sicknesses, and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. So all along, he's bearing all of our sicknesses, all of our pains as he's hanging there. And Isaiah here, writing of his own people, and what did they say? He must have done something wrong. He must be guilty. God must be getting him. He did something deserving of death, but we know he did nothing wrong at all. He was the pure, spotless lamb of God. As Pilate said three times, I find no fault in him at all. And then Pilate tried to wash his hands clean. But you may be, you may be here tonight saying, you know what, Jesus is cool, he's great. I, I believe that. I find no fault in him, but I won't bow my life to him. I won't surrender. I'm going to keep ruling my own life. And you know what, as long as you're ruling your own life, you will have no peace And this world, listen, this world that you see, this temporary world around us, this is the best it'll ever be for you. The worst is yet to come if you die in your sins and you don't receive the sacrifice, the payment that Jesus made for you for your sins. He's made it so simple, even a child can understand. It's not an accident you're listening. It's not an accident you hear. God loves you. He wants to rescue you and save you from, from, from hell, from the penalty of our sins. The wages of sin is death. And the Lord wants to give you life. He promises you life. And you come just as you are to him. Because he did what? Look at the next verse. But he was wounded for our transgressions. That word wounded means pierced through. So so this is amazing. Because crucifixion wasn't even invented at this time. When Isaiah was writing. There was no, you weren't pierced through. You weren't crucified. 
but it spoke 500 years earlier, it spoke of the death that our Savior would die, being pierced through as he hung on the cross, being pierced with those nails in his wrists, in his hands, and in his feet. He was pierced through why? What does it say? For our transgressions. What's a transgression? It's a sin. It's a specific sin. It's God draws a line and we step over the line and we don't even care. That's what a transgression is. You guys know what I'm talking about by that? It's the, the, the sign on the lawn says, don't walk on the grass. And what do you see? A bunch of footprints, right? Or don't touch the wet paint. And people got their little fingerprints all in there. That's a transgression. That's stepping over a line that's been drawn. But every one of us, we've done that. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, whether it's accidental, whether it's on purpose. We've all sinned. We've all broken God's law. We are all guilty in God's courtroom before him. And that's why we are in need of his forgiveness, in need of his righteousness. And so it goes on. What's the next part of the verse say? But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised. Literally, he was crushed. Why? For our iniquities. What's, in, what's iniquity? You guys know what iniquity is? Anybody know tonight? What's iniquity? It's sin. Yeah. It speaks of, check this out, it speaks of our twistedness. It speaks of our twistedness. We are in need of being straightened out. And only the Lord can do that. But he was pounded. He was beaten for our twistedness, for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. In order that we might have peace with God and the peace of God, he endured the chastisement, the punishment. Did he deserve that punishment? Not at all. We do. We did. But Jesus absorbed all of the punishment that we deserved upon himself with the, with the scourging, with the hanging on the cross. Everything he went through was because he took it in our place. It says, and by his stripes, literally blows that cut, by his stripes, we are healed. Isn't that beautiful? That tells me that we're in need of healing. That word healed means literally to be made whole. We're in need of being made whole. We're in pieces. Like Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. <laughs> Humpty Dumpty had a big fall, right? But only the Lord can put you back together again. Only the Lord can put your life back together again and make it in such a way so beautiful that only He could get all the credit for that. That people would look and say, wow, something is different about your life. And it's the Lord who's working in you. Again, he makes all things beautiful in his time as he works in you, that a marvelous work of his spirit by his grace, by his stripes, we are healed. It's a, it's a good time to praise the Lord when you hear that, isn't it? Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> well, here's our problem. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Isn't that describe us? Going our own way, doing our own thing. You know, we can even do it now as Christians. We can, we can drift and become like sheep that wander away and we find out that it's, there's nothing like being under his care, under his management. Our lives thrive and abound under his management. <laughs> and he's always, and maybe you drifted away. Tonight he's brought you back. He's brought you back to that place. Say, and fresh surrender to him tonight. Say, Lord, here's my life afresh tonight. I've wandered. I've been, I've been like a sheep. 
I've been going my own way. Again, if you don't know the Lord tonight, you're going your own way. It's, you're on the broad path, the broad way that, le- Broadway that leads to destruction. And the Lord's calling you off that path. Off that path, onto his path. And he said, narrow is the way, difficult is the way that leads to everlasting life. He lets us know right up front, you guys, that it's going to be difficult following him. Are you with me? Some people say, oh, it's going to be, it's going to be rosy, it's going to be sweet, it, your life's going to be abounding always. It's not. Listen, you're, if you give your life to Jesus, it may get worse. Did he just say my life might get worse? Why would I give my life to Jesus? Because you will die, and if you die in your sins, you will not be in heaven. How long is eternity? Forever. Just let, let kind of just think about that for a while. And our life here on earth is like a, like a puff of breath, like a vapor. And you will pass through that veil into eternity. And again, the Lord's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So beautiful. He's made it simple. We provide the sinner. He provided the Savior. That's all he has to work with. Jesus came to save sinners. That's all he has to work with. And yet, again, he doesn't want anyone to perish. And so the Lord, look at the end of verse 6, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So all, all of our trash, all of our stinky garbage, all of our stinking sin was laid upon Jesus. It tells us in 2 Corinthians, I marked this verse tonight, 521, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Why? That we might become the righteousness of God in him. All of our trash given to him, all of his righteousness given to us. Can you believe that? All of our sin given, put upon Jesus and all of his goodness, all of his righteousness given to our account, given to us. That's, that's good news, isn't it, tonight? He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led how? As a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not, he opened not his mouth. I mean, think about that. He didn't, he didn't complain. The whole time he was suffering. He didn't, it says he didn't open his mouth. He suffered and died for us with no protest and no complaint whatsoever. I'll bet those, that th- those two thieves, they were kicking the whole way and screaming. <clears throat> but he didn't. Again, he willingly laid down his life for us. Took all of our trash upon himself. I don't know about you. I'm okay taking out my own trash, my family's trash. I'm not good taking out other people's trash. But he took all of our trash upon himself, and he didn't open his mouth. And you know, when 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 Jesus was scourged, you know, when we had that scene, he was coming up. And by the way, that reenactment, no actors were hurt in that. Just want to give it like a disclaimer out there. <laughs> No participants, I, as far as I know, no one was injured, correct? Maybe, <laughs> okay, that's cool, all right. No lawsuits against the pastor tonight. <laughs> I don't want to be wearing an orange jumpsuit <laughs> right now. <laughs> but when, under Roman law, when someone was scourged, it was meant to elicit a confession. 
a confession of sin, a confession of who were your conspirators, who were your, who were your cronies, who did you do this with? And Jesus kept his mouth shut. Number one, because he didn't do anything wrong. But number two, he could have said, you know what, this is for Mike. I'm doing, he didn't name my name. He didn't name your name. He could have. I'm doing this for this person, that guilty person, that guilty person. But he didn't. He kept his mouth shut. And he gives us an example too, doesn't he, in our suffering? I know my hero tonight, you know, I don't, often I don't look like my hero. When things go wrong, it's like, man, I'm complaining and griping. When things are hard, when they're suffering, you can pray for me. I want to be like my hero, Jesus, because he didn't open his mouth. He was taken from prison, from confinement, and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. It means he died. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Why? Because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. You remember who, uh, who he borrowed the tomb from for three days? Who was it? Joseph Arimathea, right? A rich man. Again, we have, again, 500 years before it happened, we know that he was buried in a rich man's tomb, borrowed it for three days. Yet, it pleased the Lord, and this is so hard for me to, to even wrap my mind around, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. Please the Father. I've been kind of just meditating on that today. It's like it pleased the Father to bruise him. And Jesus said, I do all those things that please my Father. The innocent substitute took the place of the guilty parties. That's us. When you make his soul an offering for sin, and here's the good news, you guys. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed he shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. If he was cut off from the land of the living, how in the world can he see his seed and prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper? How is that going to happen? Resurrection. That's the only way. Is Jesus rising from the dead. And look what it says in the next verse. Isn't this great? He wouldn't stay dead. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify how many, right? For those who believe. Is, do you guys like that term justified tonight? What does justified mean? That sounded right. Can I hear it again? <laughs> Just as if I'd never sinned at all, right? It means when you place your trust in Jesus Christ, God declares you righteous. You're justified. You now have right standing before God. Your sin's dealt with. You're, you, 
your past, present, and future sins gone. Forgiven, forgotten, gone forever. That's some good news tonight, isn't it? Some people get beat up. Sometimes we get beat up, don't we, about our past? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who no longer walk according to the flesh, but walk according to the Spirit. You are, there's no longer condemnation for you, brother or sister. Let that just walk. We're going to take communion tonight. It's a reminder that your sins are gone. That you are washed because of what He did for us. The sacrifice He made for us cleanses us and washes us. And it says at the end of this verse, look what it says, my righteous servant, that's Jesus, the righteous servant, shall justify many. For why? And here's why. For is a reason word. For he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. That means we get to partake of all the blessings of God's kingdom because we're His children. He shares with us, you guys. And by the way, again, as I look at this, how much, how much do I look like my hero tonight? Am I willing to share with the blessings in my life? Am I willing to share my life? Share things with others? Am I willing to go through difficulty and hardship and rejoice to count it all joy when I fall into trials of various kinds, knowing that the testing of my faith produces patience, but letting patience have its perfect work, that you and I may be complete and lacking mature, lacking nothing at all, going through all of it like our, like our Savior tonight, following His example. Yes, it is difficult. Yes, there is abundant life as we follow Him, but keeping our eyes enduring as seeing him who is invisible keeping our heart and mind affixed upon jesus he says because why all of this because he poured out his soul unto death he poured out he gave everything and he was numbered with the transgressors is that interesting who are the transgressors he was numbered with the thief the both the thieves one on either side one got saved, one different, one didn't. Think about that. So close to eternity. How, how far? Not very far away. He was that close. And the man here, the thief that just sang the song, think about that. Both of them began that morning, that afternoon, cursing Jesus, mocking him. I mean, imagine that, both of them. But all of a sudden, that one thief is watching Jesus, watching how he processes death, watching how he suffers. It was a testimony to him, not only to him, but that Roman soldier too, the Roman guard. They were watching how Jesus handled suffering. And listen, brother or sister, people watch how you and I handle our suffering as Christians. How we handle difficulty. How we handle challenging situations I, I you know what christian i find christians are the most stressed out people i ever met it's like that I, I know we laugh i laugh about it too but it's like we shouldn't be at all we should be the, the most chill most like even keeled totally suave you know what i'm talking about like like coholo suave, right? <laughs> like take it easy, man. <laughs> but we get we're so uptight. It's like what have we have we been set free? 
Are we headed to heaven? We gonna, it's like we're biting our nails. Are we going to make it, make it through this? And we forget. Why? Because we take our eyes off of the Lord and we get our eyes on everything around us. I'm, this, I'm not like, I'm, I'm preaching to myself tonight because <laughs> I can do it. But it's how quick can we get our eyes back on Jesus? How quick can I get my eyes right back on him? Off the circumstances, off the whatever, whatever I'm complaining about or going through and get my eyes right back on Jesus and say, Lord, I need your strength to endure. Lord, help me. You know, he will help you. Do you know that tonight? When we look to him, it says, because he poured out his soul unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors. And listen, tonight, if you don't know the Lord, don't wait until your dying breath because you may not get a second chance. Oh, I'll just be like the thief on the cross and wait till my last. You may not get another chance. You're not, we're not promised tomorrow. We're not even promised our next breath. That's, that next breath is on loan from God. And yet that dude recognized. He said what? Lord, remember me when you what? Come into your kingdom. Lord means you're the boss. I surrender my life to you. You're not getting into heaven without that, by the way. Without surrendering your heart and life and saying, you're my Lord. Why? Because doesn't it say that in Romans 10? Anybody have, can someone read Romans 10, 9 and 10? Anybody have it real quick? Who can who, let their fingers do the walking real fast? Come on. Yes, Aunt, stand up loud and proud, buddy. Come on. That's what the guy said. He confessed him as Lord. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you, that's a promise, you will be saved. He said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I, you're a king. I want to be a part of your kingdom. I bow my heart. I bow my life to you. He couldn't get down from the cross he couldn't get a haircut, couldn't get a suit on, couldn't get baptized, couldn't do any good works. All he had was what? The testimony of his lips and his heart. Because Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's all he had. And that's all it takes tonight. Because he poured out his soul unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors isn't that beautiful it says in revelation chapter one before we take communion it says revelation 1 5 to him to jesus to jesus who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood that great reminder tonight Yes, he does love you. How's the song go? Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. We are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. 
The Bible tells me so. Amen. Yes, he does love you. But he also, it said he loved us. And it points back to that one time. By this we know love that he gave his life for us. If you're ever doubting his love, take one look to the cross and see your Savior. The payment he made for us to forgive us, to wash us from our sins, to make us his children. And we can sing that song because we are his children, you guys. The Apostle John was blown away. Behold what manner of love that we might be called the children of God, and that is what we are. That's what we are, you guys. What manner of love. How, he's saying, in other words, he's saying, how radical, man. How awesome that we're his kiddos. May we give him thanks and praise tonight as we come to the communion table together. Hold on to those elements till after the song tonight. And uh, we'll take communion after the song together as a family. And so, uh, do I need to sing the song? Or we got somebody? Okay, here we go, Michael. (laughs) All right, he is risen. He is risen indeed, amen. Wow. Some great reminders as we sang this morning, huh? So beautiful. And then we have run out of that grave. The Lord has made us alive in Him. Such a blessing to consider this morning. Hey, we're going to take a break from our verse-by-verse study on Sunday morning through the book of Revelation. Please come back next week. Next Sunday, we'll continue. We're working our way through the book of Revelation. We are in chapter 2. So if you want to join us next week for that. But this morning, we are in the Gospel of John, chapter 20. So if you have a Bible, please... Turn with me there, John chapter 20. John chapter 20. Why don't we pray and ask the Lord to bless our time together this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for this special time that um, you've allowed us to have to be together to be with you this morning. Thank you that you are alive, that you conquered the grave, you conquered death. Thank you for how you've conquered our hearts with your love. By this we know love, that you gave your life for us. And so, Lord, we open our hearts to you this morning. We pray that, Lord, you would just do a work by your Spirit within each one of us. That you would touch our hearts, transform our lives. And, Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you this morning, that they would turn to you and to receive you, Jesus that they would receive forgiveness of sins and the hope of eternal life. And so we thank you for the great work that you're going to do. We give you this time. May we have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. And it's in your precious and holy name, Lord Jesus, that we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. All right, so as we go through uh, John chapter 20, we're going to begin in verse 19. 
and then work our way down to verse 31. And so um, I've kind of titled my message, and it's, what does Jesus' resurrection mean for those who are trusting in him? What does Jesus' resurrection mean for those who are trusting in him? So we're going to be reminded this morning of all those great things that Jesus has accomplished that he has given us in our lives as Christians. And so as we begin, let me just a reminder, Jesus had been crucified on Friday and his last words were, it is, it is finished. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It is finished means paid in full. That means Jesus paid the price, the full price and satisfying price for your sins and my sins as he hung on the cross. On the third day, he rose again from the dead, demonstrating that everything he said is true and that the Father received the payment that Jesus made for us for our sins. Aren't you happy about that this morning? <laughs> that, 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 that's, that that sacrifice was acceptable. And what that means is that all of our sins can be forgiven. It means that one day we too will experience uh, heaven to be with Jesus that one day when we take our last breath here, we can know that'll be our first breath in his presence. And not just that, he makes us, there's a resurrection that happens in our lives when we come to know Jesus Christ personally, when we come to surrender our lives to him. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later, but just to kind of catch the context or the flow of what's happening in John's gospel, check this out. John's, John records three of Jesus's uh, post-resurrection uh, appearances to his disciples. So three of them. We're going to look at two of them this morning. And so we begin in verse 19. I'm going to read. Here's what God's word says. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. And so let me draw your attention to verse 19. That where are the disciples, you guys, right now? They're in hiding, right? They're hiding behind closed doors. Why does it say for what? The fear of the Jews. They're scared of what's going to happen. The Lord has been crucified. He's been beaten. He's been mocked. He's been abused. And he's dead. And they're thinking the same thing's happening to us. We're doomed. We are done in. They know we're his followers. We are, we've been associating with him. They associate us with him. And we are next to be hanging on the cross. We're next to be wiped out. So they're hiding behind closed doors. And we, again, we note that this is Sunday, the first day of the week. And it's at evening. It's getting a little bit later in the day. And all of a sudden, poof, who shows up? It's Jesus. How awesome. 
And we see that. He kind of pops in and out of different scenes. And we're reminded, by the way, when he does that, as we look at this, we're reminded that we're never alone. He's always with us. And so we see in this verse also, in verse 19, the words that Jesus said when he came in. He said to them what? Peace be with you. Jesus is in these verses, number one, he gives us something and he takes away something. He gives us something. So what does he give us? He gives us peace. The Bible tells us that there's two types of peace. There's peace with God and there's the peace of God. So one goes this way. We have peace with God. When do we have peace with God, you guys? I hear a lot. It sounded right. It sounded like close. <laughs> Romans 5.1. Listen to this. Romans 5.1. You guys know this because we just finished Romans. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you guys catch that? We have peace with God through who? Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, the one we are trusting in. Why do we need to have peace with God? Because before we surrender to him, we're living our own lives the way we want, going our own way. Jesus said, you're heading on a broad path that leads to destruction. And Jesus is calling us to look to what he's done on our behalf. He paid the penalty for our sins in his life's blood. He willingly gave his life for you and for me. Suffering on the cross, suffered, died, buried, rose again on the third day. And he offers peace to anyone that will come to him. And that is what we need, peace with God. Listen, if you are ruling your own life right now, this morning, if you're still ruling your own life, you'll never experience God's peace. You'll never experience his peace because you're doing life your own way. You're the captain of the ship, the master of your own destiny. You're doing your own will. And the Lord says, okay, if you want to have it your way, go your way. But it's going to end in emptiness and frustration and no peace. But once we come to know Jesus personally, then we have peace with God. But not only that, we get to experience the peace of God, which I'll talk about in just a minute. But Jesus made it so simple. He said, come unto me that you may have rest. Come unto me. Isn't that simple? We come to a person, not to a church, not to a religious organization, not to a guru. You simply come to Jesus and he gives you peace. Resurrection means peace with God, number one. There's about six or seven things I'm going to name this morning. Number one, resurrection means for us peace with God. When we surrender to him and accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we immediately recognize the war is over. No longer am I fighting against God. Knowing that he is on my side brings me peace. Aren't you glad he's for you? If God is for us, who can be against us? Isn't that beautiful? Do you know that God's for you today, my precious brother, sister? I mean, how awesome is that? When you're his child, he's for you. He's with you, leading you and guiding you. So he gives us peace, but he takes something away too. What does he take away? What do you think, what do you think by that verse? What do you think he takes away? Fear. He takes away fear, you guys. Number one, the fear of death. The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews, I'm going to read it, chapter 2. He sets us free from the bondage of fear of death. The Bible tells us, inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, 
He himself, speaking of Jesus, likewise shared in the same. He came and took a body that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who, through fear of death, were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Listen, if the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. You no longer, as a child of God, you and I no longer need to fear death. Why? Because we know our last breath here will be our first breath in heaven with him. Jesus said, he told his committed followers, because I live, so you too shall live. So he gives us the assurance of heaven, the hope of heaven, removing the fear of death, but he also removes the fear of man, you guys. We come to have a fear of God that is greater than the fear of man. The fear of man brings, brings a snare, you guys. It's bondage being in fear to men. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but what? Of power, love, and a sound mind. God's not giving you a spirit of fear or timidity, but what? Of power, love, and a sound mind. Isn't that a great deal? <laughs> He takes our fears and replaces it with power, love, and a sound mind. Does that mean we never have fear, Pastor? Because sometimes I have fear. We do have fear sometimes, don't we? Do godly men and women sometimes fear? We see it in the Bible, don't we? David said, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. He gets his eyes right back on the Lord because what happens is we take our eyes off of Jesus and get them on something else. We get, our, we get our focus on tomorrow, on next week, on our problems, on our circumstances, on our issues. And what begins to happen? We begin to go, in, we begin to go into panic mode. And no amens. Does that happen just me once in a while? <laughs> but we not only have peace with God, but we also have the peace of God. The Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 4, what? You guys know, be anxious for nothing. nothing. Be anxious. That's a command. Be anxious for nothing. Jesus said, don't, do not worry. Do not worry. Do not worry. And what do we do? Thank you. But listen, as Christians, we should, we should, we should, we should be the most chill people on the entire planet. And the problem is we're not. We run around so anxious and, and people look at our lives and go, man, that's, that's what you got. I don't want anything. I don't want that. You're freaking out. Flying off the handle. But as Christians, we should be the most chill, most relaxed, most peaceful, most at rest people on the entire planet. Why? Because our lives are resting in Him. All His promises are yes and Amen. Do we believe that? The problem is we pay lip service. We we practice what we believe and the rest we pay lip service to so often. And it's like, no, we want to say, yeah, Lord, I believe you. I will walk in this. I trust that all things are working together for good in my life because I love you. Even though I don't see it right now, even though I I can't explain what's going on or understand, Lord, and you know what happens? Does that ever happen to you? You're like, I, don't, I can't make heads or tails of this thing. I don't know what's going on. You know what you do when that happens? You lean on the things you do know. 
You lean on the Lord's character, who He is, His nature. You lean upon the promises. You look to His promises, and you look to Him. And what does He give you? He gives you His peace. Because He promises, don't be anxious for anything but with prayer and supplication, with with thanksgiving. Lord, I don't know how this is going to work out. I'm going to be the first person to disprove your promises, I think. But I thank you anyway. How are you going to work it out? We thank Him. And what happens? The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will what? Guard your and minds through who? Christ Jesus. Isaiah 26.3, the promise. God promises perfect peace to the mind that is stayed upon Him, set upon Him. So resurrection means peace with God. It means peace, the peace of God in our lives that we can walk in. Are you experiencing God's peace this morning? That sounded like 10% of the room. Do you know that God wants you to have heaven's peace in your heart? Remember when Jesus, Storm 101, Jesus was with his disciples on the boat. You guys remember that? You guys remember Storm 101? Jesus said, let us cross over where? The other side. Did he say, let us, we're going to get about halfway and sink and you guys better be able to swim? (laughs) Did Did he say that to them? He said, let us, what, cross over. That's a promise. Jesus said, we're going to make it. Do you know that Jesus took a pillow with him? You ever thought about that? He took a pillow with him. Knowing there's going to be a storm ahead. He did, he did. Because it says he was asleep on the pillow. And a storm kicks up on the Sea of Galilee. And they're gnarly storms that come and hit. They're like, you get double overhead wave, like sweet barrels. Big waves out there. Friend, you know what I'm talking about, brother. Big old waves on the Sea of Galilee. They're getting tossed all around, and it wasn't the storm that woke up Jesus. You ever thought about that? It wasn't the storm that woke him up, but who woke him up? Don't you care, Lord? (laughs) But that can happen to us. And Jesus rebuked the storm and then reminded them, where's your faith? Because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Jesus gave his word. Trust me. But my question always is, is how could Jesus sleep at a time like this? Lord, how could you be sleeping at a time like this? Our, my life is being spun around in circles. This storm has just hit me. It's totally gnarly, man. How could he sleep at a time like that? Because he was resting in the Father's will. He taught us not Not my will be done, but thy will be done. When I pray that prayer, you ever thought about that prayer? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom, thy will be done. When I'm saying that, my kingdom goes, my will goes, your kingdom in my life. Seeking first your kingdom. Your will be done. My will's out of here. And what begins to happen when you rest in his will, you can say, there's a storm going on, but I'm just going to chill out. I'm not going to freak out and go berserk and act like a nut. I'm just going to rest. I'm going to chill because I know my life is in your hands. My times are in your hands. You promised, Lord. You promised to get me to the other side. And so I can can you rest in that today, brothers and sisters? Again, we should be super chill. So removal of fear, freedom from fear. And then notice the next verse. When he had said this, back to chapter 20, I know I've been all over the board this morning. 
John, 9, John 20, verse 20. Get some 2020 vision right here. Check this out. When he had said this, when Jesus had said this, what did he do? He showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So they see Jesus resurrected, glorified, and he's still bearing what? The scars, the wounds. Do you know for all eternity we're going to see those wounds, by the way? Revelation 5, I think it's like verse 6. When John saw Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, when he saw Jesus in heaven, he saw what? He saw him as a lamb that had been slaughtered, right? Literally, it means with the, with the marks of slaughter. Still bear, that's the, Listen, that's the only man-made thing that will be in heaven, is those marks, that reminder of the sacrifice that he made for you. He did it because he loves you. And wants you to be with him and me with him for all eternity. There's a reminder for all eternity. So he shows the guys his wounds. Or he was pierced in the side by the Roman soldier. And what do the guys do? They're stoked, right? They're happy. They rejoice. The disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace to you. Why does Jesus have to say it a second time? They probably lost their peace for a minute. Doesn't that happen? All of a sudden, the Lord does something great, and you see Him work, and then all of a sudden, it's, I lost my peace again. And and what does Jesus say to you? Peace to you. Peace to you. Jesus has peace to give. Do you know that He sent out His disciples? They had peace to give also. We have peace to give also as we go out in His name. And that's exactly what He's talking about here. Look what it says. As the Father has sent me... So I also send you. I think resurrection means something else this morning. It means that God has a purpose and a plan for your life. What does Jesus say to his committed followers? As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. How did, how did the Father send the Son? He sent him to do what? To seek and to save that which is lost, right? Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world, but he also said, you are the light of the... Didn't he say that somewhere? You are the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So we are to shine, just as Jesus was shown, shining, shown, shined, something like, just as he was bright, did he do any good works? Listen, our lives are to be marked by good works. Really? Yeah. The Bible tells us he prepared good works for you and I to walk in, Ephesians 2.10. That your life, the things that you do, the words that you say, the way that you and I respond, people would glorify God. They'd say, wow, what, what are you tapped into, man? What's going on in your life? What's going on with your marriage? Man, that ain't, that's, not, that's abnormal. Man, that church, I came there, I was so loved. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. People were so kind, and people were so chill. They were so chill. They weren't all uptight and 
biting their nails and stuffing their faces with comfort food. It's okay to eat. It's the one thing we can do is eat, so I'm not laying a trip on you. As Christians, we can eat. It's a good thing. But people should notice a difference about our lives, you guys, as Christians. Are you with me? There's a change that happens in our lives. We'll talk about that in just a moment. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That's the the son was about the father's will. I must be about my father's business. Remember Jesus as a teenager saying that to his mom and his stepdad, by the way? Some of you will get that later. I must be about my father's business. My food, what satisfies me, what nourishes me is to do my father's will. Is that what satisfies you this morning? Doing your father's will. Because that's what will satisfy you, is being about our Father's business. Jesus said it, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Beautiful. Verse 22, look at this. So resurrection means what? Resurrection means peace with God. Resurrection means the peace of God. The resurrection means freedom from fear. The resurrection means God has given you a purpose and plan for your life. Does God have good plans, by the way? You think God's plans are good? I hope everybody agrees. Because sometimes people think, if I give my life fully to God, he's going to send me to go minister to the Eskimos and, or over here to eat dirt. And You know the Lord loves you. He loves you so much. Think about parents with your kids. Do you love your kids? You want the best for their lives, right? I tell my kids that all the time. I tell them, mom and dad don't sit around at night after you go to bed. Okay, how can we jack up their life, hon? How, really how can we really make things miserable for them? You know, let's just, oh, that's, honey, that's a good one. Yeah, sweet. Well, let's implement that tomorrow. Manana, we're on it. No, we want the best for our kids. Resurrection means a purpose and a plan for your life. Notice the next thing. What is that, like three or four things? I, don't, I lost count. Verse 22, And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them what? Receive the Holy Spirit. When Jesus says receive the Holy Spirit, do you receive the Holy Spirit? Not a trick question. Yes. When, you, when Jesus says, receive the Holy Spirit, you receive the Holy Spirit. It's not symbolic. It's not figurative language. Jesus said, receive the Holy Spirit. And boom, they receive the Holy Spirit. What happens when you receive the Holy Spirit? You become born again. Unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven, you guys. Why do we need to be born again? Why do we need to be born again? When we're we're born into this world, we are born spiritually dead. Flatliners. The Bible says we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We need to be made alive spiritually. How does that happen? John chapter 1, I'm going to read it. It's really simple. 
John chapter 1, verse 12, but as many as received him, speaking about Jesus, have you received Jesus? To them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, are you believing in his name? Who were born, okay, so we were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. So it's not a physical birth, but born of God. So we need a spiritual birth. And so what happens? You guys know? When you receive the Lord Jesus Christ, when you believe on his name, a miracle happens. God Almighty in the person of the Holy Spirit comes and takes residence in your life. Are you with me? The Bible says we're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The Helper comes and takes residence who will lead us and guide us into all truth. And he begins this radical transformation of our lives. Are you with me? Have you, have you experienced a change in your life? If you, haven't, if, you had, if you haven't had a change, there hasn't been a change, then guess what? There hasn't been a change. And if there hasn't been a change, then there hasn't been a change. It is impossible for the, for the Holy Spirit to come into your life and there be no change at all. He's, he's the, listen, he's the Holy Spirit. He's not the culturally relevant spirit. He's not the hip spirit, the cool spirit. He's the Holy Spirit. And he begins to direct and, and hone and shape our lives towards holiness, towards, and holiness is Christ-likeness, more and more like Jesus. And so you look back over your life, and I know I'm not what I should be, but praise God, I'm not what I used to be. I just dropped a dumbbell on my toes, and I'm not dropping F-bombs anymore. And it wasn't, a, it wasn't a guru, it wasn't a 12-step process, it wasn't a book, a program. Listen, only Jesus can change you like that and transform your life. You begin to love people rather than loving yourself supremely and living for yourself. You begin to love others and you're starting to be kind to others and forgiving to others and these things begin to happen supernaturally natural in your life. And it's not some pastor or preacher telling you, you're just spending time with Jesus and he's changing you. And he's molding you and shaping you into that man or woman that he wants you to be. And you look back and go, wow, it was him. It was a marvelous work. All I can say is praise God. Are you with me this morning? Have you seen a change in your life? If you have seen no change at all, if the Bible is still Greek to you, you don't understand it, then maybe this morning you need to repent and place your trust in Jesus Christ and open your heart to him and receive the Holy Spirit. And what will happen? He will do that radical work in your heart and in your life. The resurrection means a new birth. But it doesn't just mean a new birth. It means new power and strength to do what God's called you to do. Why? Because the Bible says it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. In other words, we read these, we re we read these instructions, these commandments, and what does God couple with them? He couples his enabling, his strength to do it. So when the Lord calls us to love our wives as Christ loved the church, when we say, okay, Lord, you're my Lord, and I will do what you're saying, and we step out to love our wives, you know what happens? He gives us the strength to do it. Wives, submit unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. I know the guys had that one memorized back and forth in Greek and Latin and all the rest. All the, all the verbs conjugated correctly. But gals, when you do that, when you say, okay, I'll... I'll choose to do this because I'm doing it for my Jesus. What does he couple with it? He couples his enabling, his strength to do it. 
You buck against the system, you'll have no peace because you're doing your own way still. When the Lord calls us to forgive as we've been forgiven others, guess what? He'll give us the strength we need to do that when we choose to do that. When we choose to treat others as we want to be treated, guess what happens? He gives you the strength to do that. And again, you watch your life and you begin to change. And it's Him changing you from the inside out. It's not, it's not someone telling you what to do. It's the Lord. As you're looking unto Him, as, as, you're, as you're beholding Him as in a mirror, you're transformed from glory to glory. And God gets the credit. Not, again, not a pastor, preacher, a book, or a program, or a church. It's the Lord. He gets the credit. And that's the power of the resurrection. His resurrected life now comes into you. It comes into you, and he enables you to walk in me, to walk in these things that he's calling us to. It's not on our own strength. I can't love my wife as Christ loved the church in my own strength. I'm doomed. I can't do. I'll fail. But Christ in me, living through me, I can do it. It's like I share this illustration all the time. When I played baseball when I was young, I wanted to be just like George Brett. Anybody remember George Brett, Kansas City Royals? Wore his pants high, right? Hair parted down the center, feathered back, surfer guy. I, from Manhattan Beach, I tried to be just like him. Tried to imitate his stance, hitting too. I had the high socks, got my hair cut at Supercuts, just like him. And I would hit, I had the same, you know, the whole, whole thing, just like him. But guess what? I never hit like George Brett. I hit like Mike Robertson. But, check this out, if George Brett could have came and got inside of me, he could have done it right through me in and through my life. That's a lame illustration, but it's, I'm trying to paint a bigger picture that when Jesus comes into your heart and into your life, He will enable you to be the man or woman that He wants you to be. That's the power of the resurrection. It also means forgiveness. Look at verse 23. The resurrection means forgiveness this morning. If you forgive the sins of any... They are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. What in the world does that mean, Pastor? That, that means we can extend forgiveness to people and, and, and hold back forgiveness for people? I don't think that's not what it's talking about. Here's what I think it means. I think as you are a surrendered man or woman to the Lord Jesus Christ, as you are about His business, doing His will, as you're sharing the gospel... You can share the gospel in the power and authority of Jesus Christ and say to people, if you are trusting in Him, your sins will be forgiven you. <laughs> but if you reject Jesus Christ, then you will, and you die in that condition, you will die in your sins. I can stand up and say that on, based upon the power and authority of God's Word and as a minister of the Lord Jesus Christ, that I can say, yeah, your sins are forgiven, bro. You're trusting in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. But bro, you're not, man. You're trusting in your own goodness, your own righteousness. And Jesus said you're going your own way. The broad path that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. You're heading in the wrong direction, man. You need to repent. And when you repent and place your trust in Him, the Bible says your sins are forgiven, forgotten, gone forever. Good time for an amen or a clap or a thank you, Lord, or something. <laughs> thank you, Jesus. All of our sins and our lawless deeds, the Bible says, He will remember no more. That means your sin debt has been paid in full. He's not going to bring it back up. It's gone. When you place your trust in Jesus Christ, that's like the good news, you guys, isn't it? 
And, and, and some of us deal with condemnation over my past. You know, I did this. I can't, I can't believe that, that you'd forgive me of this, Lord, but he does. His blood is powerful to wash away the deepest, darkest sin, most brutal. The sins you've committed, the things you've done today, things you did on the way to church today. The shoe fits, wear it. But repent as you're out of here. The sins of tomorrow. That's what, and he said paid in full. He paid in full, you guys. Not, you know, just a few and the gnarly ones. No, you got to make some atonement for. Paid in full. The resurrection means complete forgiveness. Well, what about, what is God asking of us this morning? What's he asking of you this morning? Look at the end of the chapter, what it says. It's not hard. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. Don't be a disciple that misses the meeting. He missed the meeting, didn't he? So the other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And this, this guy's known as Doubting Thomas, right? You guys ever deal with doubt? Anybody ever have doubts? Do you know that doubt's okay? It's what you do with doubt. Did you catch that? How can you say that, Pastor? Give me some evidence. Give me, this, I'm in the show-me state here. Remember John the Baptist? What did he say when he saw Jesus? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Truly, I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. He went on record. He's the Son of God. He's the one who takes away the sin of the world. Awesome ministry, right? Baptizing people left and right. Killer ministry. People are back to God movement. People are repenting. They're broken. They're getting baptized. And then all of a sudden, he points his finger at, remember Herod? Dude, you're sleeping with this girl? That's sexual immorality, bro. He called sin what it was. And what happened to him? He was doing the right thing, serving the Lord. What happened to him? He got thrown in. Got thrown in jail. Got thrown in prison. You guys remember that? And he's chilling out in prison. And news is going viral about Jesus. He's raising the dead. He's setting the captives free. The, the sick are getting healed. The lepers are getting cleansed. And John's sitting there in prison and he's having a bout of doubt. How do you know that? Remember what he said to his disciples? Go to Jesus and ask him, are you the one to come or should we look for another? Time out, dude. You just pointed at Jesus, went on record. And now you're having doubts? Can't that happen sometimes in our lives? You guys ever go through difficulty? Anybody here ever go through difficulty at all? Hardship? Pressure? 
things are not quite working out the way you thought Jesus would have them work out for you? Hey, listen, if you give your life to Jesus, things may not get better. Pastor, how can you preach that? I came for a happy Sunday, Easter, resurrection, bunny, happy message. Listen, right straight up, man, if you give your life to Jesus, things may not get better for you. Think about the thief on the cross. Remember what happened right after he committed his life to Jesus? His legs got broken. But then what happened? He was with Jesus in heaven. Listen, for us as Christians, the best is yet to come. Okay? This is the worst it's ever going to get. And it may get worse. Things may get ramp up worse. May get more gnarly. Things aren't getting better on planet Earth. Things get difficult. Jesus said, if you've chosen the narrow way that leads to life, it is difficult. Straight up. He doesn't want anyone to, to, to wonder, why is this happening? It's difficult to live for the Lord. But again, He enables us to live a life a life of abundance, he said, an abundant life where there is true peace and true love and true joy, not manufactured, not processed by the things of the world that can only come from heaven. As you're going through the midst of the storm, he's with you no matter what. So John sends these guys to, John the Baptist sends them to Jesus, and what does Jesus do? He didn't say, what's the matter with you, dude? What's your problem? He continued to raise the dead, heal the sick, and then he said, you go and tell John the things you've seen and heard, and blessed is he who is not offended in me, who does not fall away because of me. Heavy, but a good heavy. Because listen, with doubt, you can either go of one of two ways. It can lead you to unbelief and a hardness of heart, and that's dangerous. If you have a hard heart this morning, or you're doubting and it's, it's leading you towards unbelief, I'm begging you this morning don't go down that trail. Because what happens is you get harder and harder in your heart and the door of your heart gets thicker and thicker because Jesus is knocking on your heart. That you'd come in, that he'd come in to you and fellowship with you and bring peace into your life. It either leads you to unbelief or it leads you to, to seek the truth and the truth will set you free. John did the right thing with doubt. He sought the truth, and the truth set him free. Because listen, Jesus needed to bolster him for the, for the trial that was ahead. Because what happened to John? Martyred. Listen, brother or sister, what's the worst that can happen to us? What's the worst that can happen to us, Christian brother or sister? What's the worst thing that could happen? We go home to say hi to Jesus. <laughs> Correct? That's the worst thing. But it's actually the best thing. That's where our dreams begin. Our, our, our dreams, the things that, man, it, everything begins for us. New bodies fitted for all eternity with Jesus. No more suffering. No more pain. No more terrorism. No more taxes. We're going to get an amen up in here somewhere. <laughs> listen, resurrection means, listen, assurance of life that will never end. What's the Lord asking of us? Look what happens here. Thomas is doubting. 
And Jesus is listening. You know, Jesus hears, he sees. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. He didn't miss this meeting. Jesus came, the doors being shut. They're still fearing. And stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your fingers here, and look at my hands. And reach your hand here, and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Stop doubting, start trusting. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. He didn't even, he didn't even need to touch him. He gets it. He is seeing clearly right now. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Who's that talking about? That's Amen. You guys are still with me. Hallelujah. Yes. That's us. We haven't seen, but we've trusted. And then it says, And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. And John records seven specific miracles, if you go back and study. But these are written, why are these written? That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Messiah, the anointed one of God, the promised one, the Son of God, and, check this out, that believing you may have life in his name. Isn't that beautiful? What does the Lord want for you and me? Life. That you'd have life this morning. But listen, life is not found outside of Jesus. Life is in his what? What does it say? The last word. In his, in his name. And people are seeking life in all the wrong places. Wasn't that a song? Those people seeking love in all the wrong places. <laughs> Same thing. <laughs> Listen, this morning, what is God asking of you? To what? To simply believe, to be trusting in Jesus. Do you, know, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus this morning? Think, I want you to think this through with me. Do you have a personal relationship with Him? Do you know Him? Does He know you? It's going to be heavy on the day. There's going to be on the day of judgment. Because Jesus said this as He closed the Sermon on the Mount. He said, Not everyone who says to Me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but He who does the will of My Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? To me, that's like, this is frightening stuff. Yeah, we, we went to church, Lord, we, a few times, once in a while. We did some cool stuff for you, Lord, in your name. I was involved in this for a while and that for a while. Have you given your life to the Lord? You 
If I gave Allie 10 bucks, here you go, Allie. Then a little bit later on, I went and took it back. Would Allie have my 10 bucks? That's not a trick question. Let me repeat that. Allie, here's my 10 bucks. Come back later. Take back my 10 bucks. Does Allie have my 10 bucks? Some of us have said, yeah, I gave my life to the Lord, but, but you've taken it back. He doesn't have your life. And speaking of lip service and not a surrendered life to the Lord. And John wrote this gospel. He recorded all these things that Jesus said and did that you would have life. Apart from him, you have no life, not now and not eternally. And Jesus will say on that day, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That's interesting to me. Because the way that they demonstrated that they didn't know Jesus or that he didn't know them was what? The practice of their life. You're involved in habitual, unrepentant sin. And you're claiming my name. And he's going to say, depart, I never knew you. That's frightening. So this morning, yes, I know the Lord and he knows me. I've surrendered my life to him. Resurrection means what? It means peace. It means an absence of fear in your life. It means forgiveness. It means the gift of the Holy Spirit. It means eternal life, resurrection life in you. The power of God working in and through your life. Glorious promises from the Lord are all yours. You're his child But if you don't know him this morning, listen, the worst is yet to come for you. This is the best it'll ever get, living for the things of this life that are empty. And I'm begging you, I would be a derelict pastor not to share the truth and love with you this morning. And I know he's reaching out to some of us today that you need to repent. Maybe you've backslidden. Maybe you're a prodigal. Maybe you've walked away from the Lord. Maybe you've taken your life back. And you need to, I beg you, you need to respond to Jesus this morning. What does Jesus want for you? He wants life for you. Abundant life now and eternal life to come. And it's a free gift in Jesus' name. Lord, thank you so much this morning. Thank you that life is in your name, no other name, and you've made it so simple, even a child can understand, Lord. And I pray, Lord, this morning for my precious brothers and sisters, those that may be dealing with fear this morning, that those fears have been calmed. The anxiety has been calmed as they look unto you, Jesus. The